0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It's great to see everybody. We're going to get started with worship, so uh, let's all stand as we praise the King. It's to your your mind with all your strength Soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I was open, Lord, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my That's true.
1: Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. You may be seated. That is a wonderful prayer, and I hope and pray that each and every one of us has the opportunity to pray that this week as we go through our lives, that we would live our life praising God, loving God with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our hearts. So that's my prayer for each and every one of you. I hope everybody made a friend last week that you can then pour out some extra love on this week. Well, my name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Youth Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church, and I just want to welcome everybody here to our wonderful, chilly church service this morning. I love how the weather changes this time of year. On your way in, along with your little communion cup, if you didn't get one of those, please let us know. We'll be happy to grab you one. But you should have also received this fancy, wonderful bulletin that we've gotten put together. You may not notice, but right in the middle, it is perforated. And if you fold it right in half, you'll notice this top half comes off. Our hope and our prayers, you would take this top half home. You'd invite somebody to church. Let them know some of the wonderful and amazing ministries that we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church. You may have noticed on your way in, there's some diapers and baby stuff. We're putting together some newborn baby baskets. If you've got some extra coins laying around, or maybe some extra baby stuff that you would like to donate, uh, we are putting together these newborn baby baskets. So please take this card home, let some other people know some of the wonderful things we're doing here at church, and support and join in some of the great ministries that we've got going on here. The bottom half of the card is for us right here, right now. This first side says, get connected with us. I promise I will not be offended if you're filling it out while I talk. But this first card is so that we can get you plugged in and engaged here in some of the wonderful ministries that we've got going on at La Jolla Community Church. We've got a... uh, We've got the baby baskets that are coming up. We've got so many fun and wonderful events. Please, 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 if you notice some of the uh, the events scrolling through before the service, we need lots of people to support and get involved. So please take a moment, fill out this card, let us know how we can get you engaged and plugged in in some of the amazing ministries going on here at church. The other side says, let us pray for you. This is how we cover everybody in prayer in our church. We believe in the power of prayer. We have a dedicated prayer team that goes over every single prayer request that gets turned in, and we pray for everybody's needs here in our church our family. So if you've got a need or maybe even a praise report, something wonderful that is going on in your life, please take a moment, fill out this prayer card, let us know how we can cover you in prayer. And you can take this prayer and connect card along with the offering envelopes and the seat back in front of you, and you can drop those off on the box mounted on the wall here or in the baskets on your way out. We thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Sunday morning and I'd love to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Well, we're starting a new series today. Wow. Uh, we're talking about this Jesus movement. Uh, because uh, instead of talking about being a Christian or Christianity, we want to talk about the Jesus movement. Why? Uh, because a movement is filled with life. Uh, movement is is kind of figuring out as they go, right? Uh, if you've heard the, the observations of movements, movements start as this wonderful gathering of people behind a big vision, uh, some reality that they have embraced and that they are committed to. Over time, uh, every movement of necessity has to mature and become more institutional, especially in a a country like our country. You you have a movement called a church, and pretty soon you have to get a 501c3 granted to you by a governing body to say that you're allowed to take money uh, as a nonprofit, and there's all kinds of rules and regulations for that. Uh, compliance becomes a big issue, uh, rules and regulations, etc. You know how that goes, bylaws. So every movement starts as this response to a need or a problem, an idea. In the case of this Jesus movement, it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The teaching ministry of Jesus over three years, his crucifixion, it looks like it's over. And then he, he is risen from the dead and, and he appears to people and they're blown away. And then he says, okay, I'm going to send my spirit. We'll be be celebrating that uh, at the end of this month, the the moment we call Pentecost, 50 days uh, after uh, Easter. In the meantime, he ascends into heaven. uh, And he says, I will return. And so out of this incredible happening comes this movement. Now, we're going to talk about that today. Over time, movements become more bureaucratic, to the point that at some point, if they're not careful, the movement is supplanted by the bureaucracy and, the, and the, the movement is now all about supporting the bureaucracy. At that point, most bureaucracies become entrenched and ultimately, probably most of the times, unintentionally, they become evil. What do you mean evil? Well, they become evil in that they're all about protecting their three hots and a cot. If you've ever read that business book, Who Moved My Cheese? The idea that somebody owes me something and somebody's messed with my something... <laughs> Please give me something. In fact, give me back what you, you took, because that's the something I really want. And so you get this idea uh, that, wow, um, what happened to the movement that then becomes the archaic uh, arthritic uh, bureaucracy? Now, you, we, we have none of that. Our country has been a movement from the very beginning, and we continue to be a movement. Um, uh, there's nothing sclerotic, you know, no hardening, hardening of the arteries in our national movement, is there? Uh, and, of course, the church has remained a vibrant movement since its inception. Now, we laugh because you think uh, it's hard to take St. Peter's with you if you're a movement. It's hard to take St. Paul's Cathedral in London with you if you're on a movement. It's hard to take all the apparatus of stuff. Think about if, if you're sitting here um, uh, wistfully remembering leaving home uh, to go to college and then after college going off to a career, uh, how hard was it to move? What did you have to do to pack up and go? Uh, Depending on your age and stage, you said, pretty much everything fits in the VW and two of my friends. You know, everything fits in this duffel bag. And then all of a sudden, after your first job gets going, you're starting to get some some stuff, and uh, you get married maybe, and then you have kids, and all of a sudden moving becomes this, oh my gosh. I remember just even at a point when we had little kids and we moved from, from Orange County down to San Diego County, and we had all this stuff. We didn't quite know where we were going to live, and so we put it in storage. And it was in storage for months. By the time we got out of storage, it was like, wow, I had no idea I had this stuff. Where did that come from? Oh, that's great. You know, gosh, we're going to put that, you know? And so this is what happens from a movement to an institution to the demise of the institution where, you know, people are arrested for embezzlement or for doing other kinds of things. You think, How did that happen in a church? How does that happen in a school district? How does that happen... Uh, anywhere. It's because human nature very much wants to have security and stability at all costs. And oftentimes that stability and security and ultimately control reduces everything to something uh, that doesn't look very dynamic. So what we want to do in in talking about this Jesus movement during this month of May leading up to Pentecost is that we want to remember what it means to be a movement. Because really a movement can become a movement at any point. It just takes enough people to say we're over with all the encumbering stuff that we really don't need. Uh, in, in, in human development we call this downsizing. Somebody says, wow I live in this massive house with all this stuff and the kids long ago abandoned me. I mean they went to college and then they, then they started their own families and they lived far away and Why am I living in this place that requires so much maintenance and we live out of two rooms of the house? You know that. that. I won't even ask for a show of hands of how many of you have downsized or feel like it's time to downsize. What you're doing when you do that is you're reinvigorating your movement. The movement of this life journey we've been taking together is in a new stage, a new season. And so it doesn't look like what it was. You don't go buy an old VW Bug and drive around in it. Maybe you do, but hopefully you don't. (laughs) What you say is, what would it look like in this season for us to be a movement of God's spirit in our marriage, in our family? Maybe moving to a new place. So this is what we're going to be talking about in May. It's super important that we pay attention to this. If we don't, we'll become just one more statistic of how movements become institutions which become outdated, obsolete. And think of all the organizations that are, are alive and going But they're really dead because a lot of people a long time ago endowed them with a lot of money and they just keep rolling along, spending 5% of the foundation money every year while people who don't have to invest anything are making decisions. So that might sound very negative to you. It's only because this is the human nature in a fallen world. What starts as a movement very quickly becomes something else. And we want to recapture what it means to be a movement, not to go back to some halcyon idealized time in the past, but rather to say, what would it look like to seize the moment of this movement that God calls us to be a part of and be open to how that might look, uh, what structures would be necessary, hopefully flatter, simpler structures. How do we bring the main thing back into being the main thing, right? Okay, that's where we're going. I want to just give you that because that's the whole overview of the next month. And so these become vital uh, messages of remembering. And repositioning our expectations and our actual behaviors, all right? Uh, so, having said that, I mean, I've loved watching our kids grow up. I love watching our grandchildren grow up. I, I love seeing what Connie does with kids uh, in, in this church. I love what you see with youth, you know, how, capturing the imagination of youth. It's just fantastic when you see people grow. For you, when you think about uh, your life, when, have, when, have, when can you remember the, the most intense seasons of growth for you? Were those when you learned how to read, you know, as a little kid? Was it when you learned how to work the, the you know, some device uh, that allowed you to have more power in, over the channels on the TV? I don't know. What, what was it, you know? Um, what, did, what did it look like for you to be so excited about life that every day you woke up saying, oh, I can't wait to get out the door? Um, when I was like five, me and Michael Varner, who lived across the street from me, we would wake up, we'd call each other after eating a bowl of cereal, and we'd run out in our shorts and T-shirts in the middle of the street and hug and jump into the day. And he had two older brothers that would torment us constantly. They would keep starting these clubs and secret societies. that We had to go through all these initiation exercises to get inside their secret club. When finally we had qualified, they'd disband it and start a new club. (laughs) But we did not care because life was so good. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there have, there have been times in your life when you felt so alive because you were learning and you were growing and you felt empowered by that, right? That is not supposed to change in life. The intensity of that can change, but the curiosity that drives us should never change. Because when you're through learning, as, as the famous longshoreman philosopher Eric um Uh, What's his name said? Um, uh, When you're through learning, you're through. When you're through learning, you're through. When you're through growing, it's over. This is why when you meet somebody who is very, 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 very old, I don't know, like 30s and beyond, you know, um, and they're curious about things and they're interested in things, it's fascinating because it pulls you into that orbit. You say, what is it that's so interesting about this? Right now, it's butterfly season around our house. I found another chrysalis. I didn't tell Janet about this. I found a new chrysalis on, on one of these little gardenia bushes. And I was so excited. And, and you, if you get it timed just right, you can see them come out. We haven't quite that, don't, don't that have that timing down? We see the empty chrysalis and we see the butterfly floating around, right? The curiosity, something is growing. Purple artichokes are growing right now. Who knew? How do people grow? It's a fascinating process of inputs and outputs. Stuff comes in and we do stuff with it. How do we grow? Well, over time, through time. Um, We grow by intentionally interacting with the world and and with the world inside of us, right? We interact with the world out there and the world in here. We experience the world out there and it shapes the world in here. We process that. What does this feel like? What is this this experience doing for me? Oh, I like this experience. I want more of this. That tasted good. That did, that tasted bad. The first time I ever had hot sauce was a disappointing moment for everybody in the room, because a wise guy friend of my parents said, "Hey, you want some of this?" Yeah, thanks. Ah! It was horrible, and it was horrible for them because I was screaming, you know, in agony. Now I love hot sauce, right? It says something about the aging process. We lose sense of all taste and proportion, <laughs> but we observe and we absorb, reflecting and responding to what we see, feel, hear, taste, and smell. The first time I saw a big turtle by a, a lake, I thought it was so cool that its head went back inside its shell. I had no idea that it was a snapping turtle. And so look at this. This was my experience. With, no, I didn't have fingers. But I stuck my finger. Hey, what's going on with that head? Bam! And I am spinning around with a turtle on my finger. It looked like a ridiculous version of ballet. I was pirouetting around this lake. As a little kid, and you know, nobody could help me because I'm swinging around with this giant turtle. Finally, it goes flying off. And thankfully, my finger was still there. And then at the end of it, I'm like, oh. and this, so again, some wise, compassionate adult said, oh, by the way, that's a snapping turtle. You don't want to do that. Thanks so much for that input, right? Okay, so we become aware of our own thoughts and feelings, experiences. We emulate. We innovate. This is what learning is about. We think it's such a great thing that every, giant, every kid is a genius. Every single child, yours especially, is a genius. Why? Because all little kids are on this vertical learning curve. Everything is new. They master things immediately, and it just goes like this. It tapers, right? You are probably maybe thinking, my learning is kind of more like this. <laughs> That's okay. As long as it's moving along. Or I guess if you're looking at the grid, you're moving along like this, right? How are you becoming aware of your own thoughts and feelings at this age and stage in your life? What are you learning? What is new to you? What are you tempted to say? I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me. When you stop learning, you know, you're through But when you stop caring, you stop feeling the intensity of life. Caring about a problem, caring about an opportunity, caring about people especially caring about people you don't know and aren't close enough to be in your field of vision. So how does this relate to spiritual growth and being part of a movement of God's Spirit? Well, if God has given us the capacity to grow, and, and even if you have limited ways of, of, of dealing with the world, um, I have a friend uh, who... Uh, had every, every possible learning disability you could have. Came from a family of scholars and really smart people. He was a smart guy. He just he couldn't read. He couldn't write. He, he, he was just was a mess. When Warren Buffett bought his company, Warren Buffett said, this is the best company I've ever bought. So when you're walking around, you see Prudential signs. They're now called Berkshire Hathaway signs. The guy that started that, Steve Games, uh, if he was here, he would say, he lives out in Rancho Santa Fe now, he would say, yeah, look who, who knew? You know whose parents were absolutely, completely convinced their child would be on the streets? Richard Branson's. In an interview with Richard Branson's mother, she said, oh, we just knew that Richard would be a hobo, a bum. He had no hope whatsoever of functioning in the real world. It's worked out pretty well for Richard. Why? Because even if he didn't have traditional capacities for learning, he had the capacity to learn and grow. So nobody has an out in this process no church can say well you know we're just a different kind of church yeah you're a dead church even a church that's small can be alive and vital why? because they're saying what does God want to teach us what is God doing among us what is within our reach or even beyond our reach that we think we're supposed to pay attention to you, you capture that sense in your own life right now if not this is a def- definitely a timely message for you and for us and so spiritual growth is, is nothing more than taking all those elements that I just described. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Spiritual growth is not a separate category. Kind of an incidental, if, if not essential, if I get around to it, maybe. No, it's core to who we are. Spiritual growth, think of it like a Venn diagram. You know, if you had three circles here. And, and, and when they overlap at, the, at that center of that Venn diagram is a sweet spot. And so one of those circles is biblical knowledge that draws on all kinds of, of other skills, right? But reading the Bible, what's the historic context? What's, what's the literary context? How, does it, how are the characters developed? You know, how is this, um, you know, etc. So that's a circle. And where does that go? What's Within that circle, what is biblical knowledge about? Just accumulating knowledge? No. It's about biblical knowledge that leads to wisdom. Knowing how to do something with that content that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do having access to the fullness of who God is and what He's doing because you've been exposed to that foundational text, His Word, and out of that you've become wise in understanding there's a larger world than you had any idea existed. Beyond you and within you. The second circle would be personal growth. Think of it, a circle of personal growth. Where does personal growth go? I know people who have read every self-help book on the planet and they cannot help themselves. What you want out of all that personal growth, counseling is a smart thing to do. Reading about issues, confronting issues in your life a smart thing to do. If it leads to what? EQ. If it doesn't lead to emotional intelligence, you're not really following through on all the content. You're reading stuff, but you're not doing stuff. Years ago, I visited a friend who was in a mental institution. He said, I mean, I got this figured out. I've read 40 books about it. In his manic mode, he was reading books on this, and so he was an expert on it. Because I'm going to write a book about this. And, the, and the, you know, the status of it, he's in an institution, and he's telling you he's, gonna, he's now an authority on it because he's read books. And, and thankfully, a loving community came around him and walked with him for a very long time until he, he was able to come back into a, a more normative way of life with his family, a more functional way of life. And by then he'd he'd realized, oh my gosh, I had to go through this delusional thing of thinking because if I knew something, I was doing something. Now this is true of every man. We talk about it, we think we've done something about it. This is the bane of every woman going, well, didn't we talk about that? Mm -hmm. Then why haven't you done anything with it? Well, no, we talked about it. That's what we did. We did something about it. We talked about it. So this idea of, of personal growth leading to EQ is another circle, right, overlapping. The third circle would be uh, ministry skill that leads to missional impact. What does that mean? It just means that at some point as is, is you're part of this Jesus movement and somebody says, hey, have you ever read the Bible? Uh, no. All right. Would you like to read the Bible? I guess. Okay. And then as somebody helps them unpack that, you read the Bible, you'll watch the Bible project videos, come to conversations. And somebody says, hey, would you like to pray about that? I'm not really comfortable doing that well, just do this. Is there something um, you're thankful for? Yes, I am. All right, just tell God I'm thankful for that. Lord, I'm thankful for that. You just prayed. It's a skill. And over time somebody develops this comfort level with not trying to compose immediately, spontaneously, on the spot, a theological essay in their head and saying it to a bunch of people in a room, but rather saying, I'm talking to God. And the more we do it, the better we get at it. That's ministry skill. Reading the Bible, learning how to pray, learning how to manage your time, talent, treasure. So, all these ministry skills, learning how to worship, not just attending a service, but entering into a worship service. So, all these skills translate into you then having an impact. That's called a missional impact. You discover you have a mission. God is equipping you to do something with all the stuff He's entrusted to you as part of this larger mission that you're now part of, this movement of Jesus. So do you see these three circles? Biblical knowledge that leads to wisdom, overlapping with personal growth that leads to EQ, overlapping with ministry skills that produce missional impact. That's what's at the heart of the Jesus movement. We're designed by God to grow. Therefore, all growth is spiritual growth if we're paying attention to it. Think about that for just a second. All growth is spiritual growth if we're paying attention. Because as we, as we do those things, we're, we're being transformed. And it might be as simple as I was using a skill called reading. I was using a skill called you know, getting counseling and experience. I was learning how to function out out of a a natural, supernaturally empowered, but a natural faith that allows me to have an impact. Those are just kind of normative things. I do stuff like that at work. I do skills at work and I have an impact. Well, now I'm doing it in my faith. So all growth is spiritual growth. Why? Because God made us to be whole people. We don't bifurcate or compartmentalize all the parts of our life. Here's my spiritual life over here. My work life is over here. When the, when the Northmen, you know, the Northmen, the Vikings, when they were, were impacted by the gospel uh, in the 9th, 10th century A.D., uh, and they were being baptized, uh, they wanted to leave their right hand out of the water when they were baptized. And, and the, the people baptizing them said, what's with the right hand out of the water? It's my axe hand. You can baptize every part of me but my axe hand because this is how I make my way in the world. Uh, no, man, that belongs to God too. He wants to show you how to live a life that isn't necessarily starting with lopping a guy's head off and then asking how he's doing. We'd like to reverse that process and then avoid the lopping a head off part. See, you with me on this? It's not compartmentalized. It's integrated. That's why all growth is spiritual growth. Now you might not give God credit for that growth. I know people who would say, you know, I, I went through counseling and now I don't believe in God anymore. There must not be a God. I said, No. What you did is you got rid of all the garbage that was in the way, all the false versions of God or views of God that you had and you've removed them. Now you think you don't believe in God. You, uh, let's talk about that. You don't believe in God? I don't believe in the God that you don't believe in too. Let's look at who God really is now that you've cleared the decks. So a person might say, I've grown so much, I can't believe I've overcome so much and I didn't need God... <laughs> You were wired for that, and God has been with you even in that process, and you're not giving Him credit. And therefore, you're going to limit your capacity to grow beyond this initial phase of growing. Do you see the power of this, and the irony of this? When the church is a movement says, hey, this is pretty good, we can pretty much handle it from here, what do they become? Institutionalized. This is enough, because this is what I can control. So, what do we see in Luke two fifty two? Jesus said, um, "It says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew holistically, comprehensively, because we are whole people. The Greeks want to divide us into mind and body. The Hebraic concept, the concept that God gave to His people, is that you are a whole being. So three things." Uh, the Jesus movement is a learning, growing, worshipping community with social impact. That's a description of this Jesus movement. It's, it's a learning, growing, worshipping community with social impact. How do I know that? The Word of God describes it in Acts 2, 42-47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, learning, right? And to fellowship. They were working out that teaching in conversations. Koinonia is the, is the fellowship, community-creating reality of the Holy Spirit. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Holistic, right? we got to eat. Let's thank God for the food. By the way, is there anything we can pray about for each other? You see how this then morphs into this movement with natural, normal things, normal um, components of life are now being transformed into a place where God meets us. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. It wasn't that they had created a commune in the middle of Jerusalem. It's that they were together. They were part of a movement. A movement brings people together. And and, and movements initially don't have membership requirements. They don't have any other criteria other than, are you going in the direction we're going? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This big area outside the temple, now it's called the Dome of the Rock, but that's where the temple was. Massive area. If you ever go up there, you think, this thing is huge up here. Beautiful. And there was an inner Holy of Holies part, and there was another part around that, and then there was all these courts where people would gather. Women would gather in these courts, men in these courts. There's even a court for the Gentiles who weren't Jewish, but they could come up and be a part of it too. So they'd gather there where there's lots of space and it had lots of room to accommodate everybody and so they did. And when they saw needs they responded to those needs. They didn't have a committee of saying, hey do you qualify for this help? they just say, you, need, you have a need? What do you need? Very powerful movement component. So every day they met in the courts, they broke bread in their homes. Now it gets personal. We're not just meeting at the temple anymore, we're meeting in our homes. We have access to each other's lives. And we have glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You see how how irresistibly attractive a movement is. I want to be a part of this. So if we're part of a Jesus movement, and if somebody inevitably people will come to the church, and say, "Hey, what do you need from me?" And because they, they know the institution needs my money, my time, my whatever. And we've kind of flipped that. We, 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 of course, we need those things, but what we need them in is this order. What, where, what do you need to grow in your relationship with Jesus? How can we help you do that? How can we encourage you in that process? What do you think God's put in your hands that you can use to serve Him? Well, I'm, for the person who's a Christian, they show up, say, hey, I'm, I'm new, and I, what do you need for me? Well, what, what do you, you know, I find, figure out, oh, you know the Lord? Okay, great, you're growing, you're pretty mature in your faith. What, do you, what are you doing? Well, I'm doing this. Well, I keep doing that. That's okay? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Of course it's okay. We gather together, but our focus is out there. You see where this goes then? Very, very powerful when you're part of a movement. You become drawn into it, and it's a resource-rich learning community with all those elements I just read, but the idea is to set you free to release you, and that's why the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved because they'd go out and do whatever they were doing, and people would say, How come you're like that? I'd say, Well, I didn't used to be like this. I'm becoming more like this because I've been walking with Jesus and his people. Where, where do they meet? What do I have to do to qualify? Do I just show up. The Jesus movement is a learning, growing, worshiping community with social impact, always. No exceptions to that. Whether they meet under a tree, in a basement, in a small home, in an open field in in a sanctuary. Second thing, the Jesus movement is anchored in the great Shema of Israel. This just didn't come out of thin air. This came out of a whole movement that God was um, initiating starting with uh, a guy named Abraham, creating a family around Abraham and Sarah, creating a, a tribe, creating an extended family, creating a nation in order to bless all families on earth. And so the great Shema is Moses' word to the people. Shema just means, hey, listen up. It's the imperative, listen, here, don't miss this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord, that word Lord is the, the, is the holy name of God, the Yahweh. You know, um, uh, When it's said publicly, they don't say Yahweh, they say Adonai. Uh, so they say Shema Israel, uh, Adonai, Uh, um, uh, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We sang that this morning in worship. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Don't inflict them on your children. Impress them on your children. How do you impress anything on your children? You do it and you let them be a part of you doing it and they go, wow, could I do that? Yeah, sure. As soon as we start inflicting and opposing kids go, why? No, uh-uh, I don't want that. Talk to them about this stuff when you sit at home and when you walk, walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Uh, he says, you know, tie them on your hands and your head. Write them on your doorposts. What he's saying is, put them where you can see them. Uh, some friends built a house recently. It's been a last couple-year project uh, in Del Mar. Beautiful view of the ocean, all that stuff. They have the soothing sound of the railroad ripping by the house. And as they had it in in the framing stage, uh, the parents handed out markers to all the kids and said, go write Bible verses wherever you want, anywhere you want. And so they said, wow, what should we write? Well, let's talk about, okay, this is the entryway. What should we write here? So they'd write Bible verses about entering the house. They went to the bedrooms, each room, the family room, the, the dining room, they started, you know, so you see what I mean? It was their version of what, you know, it's called a mezuzah. You know, that thing that you see in a Jewish, Jewish home, it's called a mezuzah. And what it is, is either it's, a, it's a, uh, an image of or it contains the law. So it's basically a rolled up scroll with the law. And so when you touch it, it's not just a lucky rabbit's foot thing. It's that you're touching it saying, I am a child of the commandments. I am a bat mitzvah. I'm a... Um, you know, um, bar mitzvah. Mitzvah just means commandment. Uh, mitzvah is a commandment. And also means good things to do. How many mitzvot have you done today? Well, I did this, this, and this. Oh, great! So that's what's going on here. It's a shaping, learning experience built on conversations. That's why we do our think conversations from eleven to eleven forty-five. A healthy, happy family is having conversations about stuff. No question is is unacceptable. No issue is. Rejected. It's like, let's raise that issue. Let's talk about that. This is what a healthy church looks like. Hey, can we talk about this? Yeah, sure. You don't always have to agree, but at least you can talk about it and process it. And so the Jesus movement is anchored in this great Shema of Israel. Can you imagine having to shape you over your entire life? And then wherever you went, you say, I bring this with me. I bring the conversation with me. When the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70 and people were dispersed, literally, the Romans said, you have to leave. <clears throat> Every person who left was a little version of the temple. Wherever they went, they were a little version of the temple. And they would gather in a family group. And if they found 10 men, that was the way they would do it, a minion, they could start a synagogue. And a synagogue was like a little outpost of what was the temple. And what would they do? They're kind of the same stuff they did in the temple. Couldn't do the sacrifices anymore but we can talk about the the law. Jesus announces His ministry and synagogues existed before the temple was destroyed but especially afterwards it it was essential that they had these synagogues. So it was the Shema, this hey listen up, this is who we are that made the difference. The third point then is that the Jesus movement quickly grew to include people who didn't grow up with the Shema. It started to include Gentiles, non-Jews. Not only that, but because uh, uh, Judaism, Israel was was vertically and horizontally integra- horizontally integrated around a culture. Now you had a, a, a bunch of conflict happening because now you had Jews and Gentiles who didn't like each other anyway. The Jews had reasons for not liking the Gentiles and that was reciprocated enthusiastically from the Gentiles to the Jews. Then within that you had people who were rich and people who were poor. And well, I don't want to hang those people, they're not my peeps. Uh, different ethnic people. And pretty soon it was a mess. But while it was still a movement, that was all overcome by the fact that, you know what we have in common? Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Let's have conversations about Him. And so what did that look like in the New Testament era when these non-Jews and these Jews were getting together? The New Testament. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion. Uh, We call it Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. It's just an expression of Passover. So the challenge was helping these Gentile believers become full partners in the gospel because at first the Jewish folks that we're talking about out of Acts 2. They're all Jewish. And so we have the New Testament and it's a practical discipleship document for everyone. So I'm going to read you a passage out of Ephesians 4. The first part of Ephesians is saying, here's why we're unified, where there's no more barrier between us. We're people. And then the second part of the book I'm going to read from is that here's what we do because of that. So, this movement is for all people. And so it says that Jesus who descended, came into the world, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. So, you give a book, you know, give a parenthetical description of his life. He came into the world, descending, um, and he then ascended out of the world. In order to fulfill, excuse me, in order to fill the whole universe, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? Ah, they had a role to play that was crucial, critical, essential for the people of God. To prepare God's people for works of service. And service isn't just you know, building houses in Mexico or fixing up houses with habitat, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick. All that's incredibly important. The works of service are who are you in Christ? So our service is comprehensive. That's been the theme, right? We're holistically designed to be fully integrated people in relationship with the Holy God. And so service is everything we do to express who we are. Part of your service is having fun. I express my humanity, my my personhood by having fun. I express it in meals. I express it in in doing work uh, and helping others, right? So service is a comprehensive term here. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. He's called us together into this community so that we can become mature. Biblical knowledge that leads to wisdom, personal growth that leads to EQ, ministry skill that leads to missional impact. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. A crazy mashup of metaphors. A baby floating on the waves, wind and waves, you know, deceitful people. What Paul's doing is giving us this, uh, this very creative, impressionistic understanding that instead of being just floating around in life, we have a purpose. And so instead of being that, we are a community in Christ. Therefore, what do we do? Speaking of the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head of this body. That is Christ. A new metaphor. We're a body now. We're members of that body. Christ is the head. He continues by saying, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That is, as each person is as fully functional as their capacity allows, the body thrives and grows, is blessed and blesses. Is that concept clear to you? You are essential to the full functioning of the body of Christ. If any of us neglect just being us in Christ, the movement grinds to a halt and becomes institutional. People get ticked off. They go, hey, we better make some rules here. Did you do this? Will you do that? And now it's the whole compliance thing. When the movement becomes about compliance, the movement is sick and dying. If, if, if you think in, the, in your dating relationship, it's going to get better by you guys making rules, the relationship is over. If you're dating somebody, and you know this, if you start talking about us all the time, and what we need to do, it's done. It's done, 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 done. Because ultimately, an us looks like this. Two people face-to-face, understanding that they're, they're committed to each other as friends, as, as, as spouses, you know, as parents and children, whatever. But then very quickly, shoulder-to-shoulder, looking at the world together. That's how we impress these things on our children. We're not in their face all the time. We're shoulder-to-shoulder saying, hey, how does that look to you? How does that feel to you? Big diving board. You want to jump off that? You sure you want to do that? I think I can do it. All right. Great. Versus, you're going to get on that board, and you're not getting off until, you know. And so it's a, it's a very different dynamic. And if you say, why is our relationship such a mess? Probably because we're expecting too much from each other. We're not shoulder to shoulder saying, what is God calling us to do and be together? Christian marriage is not two people living for each other. Christian marriage is two people living together to serve Christ. A church is not a bunch of people coming together just to be together. A church is a bunch of people coming together to be something for Christ in the world. It changes everything. It's the difference between the Sea of Galilee that's fresh and sweet and and produces so much life and the Dead Sea that sucks up life and gives nothing back. Okay, so wrapping up, I'll say this. There's no perfect formula for growth, but there are essential and predictable elements. You're going to grow in a way that not everybody else is growing. So don't try to be on a competitive, comparative track with anybody. Just be you in Christ and see how that works. Yes, observe, learn, emulate, be mentored by, mentor others, or whatever it takes. Draw on all the resources you can, but do not compare and say, well, I, by this time in my life, I, sh- I thought I'd be this. How come I'm not like that? You just go, let it go. How about be you in Christ? And in the body of Christ, you being you will be awesome. Yeah, but I'm just a finger in the body of Christ. Right. God help us if we lose all of our fingers, Right. So there's no perfect formula, but there are essential and predictable elements. How about these elements? Life-changing truth. Everybody needs life-changing truth. Spiritual habits. Everybody needs spiritual habits. Things we do to inculcate our understanding and love of God. Worship, learning, growing, serving, giving, all that. Personal ministry. What has God uniquely equipped you to do? That's an empowering, equipping thing. You know what the best thing you can do for small children is to give them responsibility. Small kids want to do stuff. And when mom says, no, no, I'm going to hurry. I'll make the bed. No, 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 it's dangerous. That knife might be sharp. No, you can't do that. What you do is you say to that kid a thousand different ways, you aren't adequate. You don't have what it takes. You can't do that. And you postpone a kid's life. All of us are not ready to do the next thing necessary. So personal ministry is just you, again, expressing who you are, even if it doesn't work very well at first. Significant relationships are another essential and predictable element. If you don't have any significant relationships, how can you possibly grow? Well, I'm not very popular. I'm an introvert. You know, I have a hard time meeting people. This is not a popularity contest. To contest. It's not a list. I mean, whose list is bigger? How many likes do you have? Well, I bought 40,000 new likes and I, you know, it's just saying, what would it look like for me to be curious and to care for people? That might then lead me into significant relationships. And then finally, pivotal circumstances. The worst thing that you might be going through is, could, is possibly the place where God really wants to meet you and help you grow. Personally, I love to grow out of experiences like le- leisure and success. <laughs> I find these are the most conducive to my personal development. Apparently, God disagrees with that. He allows me to grow through disasters, often of my own making. But it wasn't really my fault. Right? Pivotal circumstances. Whatever the pivotal circumstances, that is they change things for you. Whatever circumstances you're in, maybe you've been in them for a long time or you're just now in the middle of one or you're hoping to get out of one, this is where God wants to meet you. As, As we see in the children's ministry, It's just a phase you're going through. Don't miss it. Pay attention to this phase. See, so God wants to meet you in the midst of your pivotal circumstances. Yeah, but I don't know what what I want to do with my life. Wow, how about let God meet you there? I've come out of another bad relationship. uh, I'll never get it right. How about let God meet you there? I made a decision I thought was right. I prayed. I asked my friends. And when I did it, it didn't work. How about let God meet you there? I really didn't do anything. I feel kind of guilty for being so successful. I just didn't. I don't know what I did. And all of a sudden, boom. Let God meet you there. you see where this goes? And you see if you're part of a movement of God's Spirit that has all kinds of people coming at it that way? Oh my gosh, that's a powerful, empowering, equipping, celebrating, mutually suffering and sacrificing community that who wouldn't want to be a part of that? That is irresistibly attractive. Because at the worst moment, they can look at each other and say, that was horrible what do you think God wants us to do? Besides, Now that we're done blaming each other, what, what do you think God wants us to do? What do you think He's going he, to teach us in the midst of this? This is the power of the movement of God's Spirit. This is why the Jesus movement is equipping every generation to walk with God. Because everybody is going to have life-changing truths, spiritual habits, personal ministry, significant relationships, Pivotal circumstances. Everybody's going to be operating out of those three areas that I talked about. He's committed to your growth and fullest development. The question is, are you committed to your growth and fullest development? Are you holding back out of fear, out of pride, out of whatever? It's worth all the effort you will make because it does require effort. God's grace provides a lot of resources. We need to give some effort in responding to those so when, when we walk with God, it's a journey of discovery. We start to see our own life and life around us through his perspective, and that changes everything. I want to leave you with this thought. I, I, I posted this uh, in the weekly email, and I think it's on a website. It's called the, the, the Great Opportunity. It was a study that was done about several years ago, and I, I, I sent it to a lot of people who dutifully ignored it, and so I'm sending it again. Um, It was a a family foundation called the Pine Tops Foundation. Um, uh, Great story behind it. I won't won't tell you all the story, but the the gist of it is that the grandfather was insanely wealthy and successful. The son announced that while a student at Harvard Dad, I think I'm called not to go into the family business but to be a pastor, the dad was irate and ticked off. Pretty much disowned him. Uh, And then that, and that that son uh, had had a family, and they're they're phenomenal, you know, people, and and eventually the granddad, you know, finally, okay, fine, you know, but out of this family legacy, this younger generation are people who walk with Jesus, and they're super sharp people, and so they said, we have this foundation, all this money, what should we do to bless the world? And so they, they brought in a guy from McKinsey, a former McKinsey partner, said, we want to write, we want to do a study about what we could do to influence the world, to bless the world with our generosity. And so they did this survey, this study. They, they talked to every Christian college, seminary, Christian organization around the entire nation. It's genius. It's brilliant. And it came out, they came out with five areas that they wanted to focus on. And if you, if you get it, reopen it up, if you get the weekly email, uh, go online, on our website and get it and just read it read the introduction it'll 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 open your heart i'll give you one example in the youth column 30 to 40 million young people are going to walk away from their faith in the next 3 decades not because they found the gospel inadequate or that they've rejected the theology that they were raised with in a youth group. These are kids in youth groups in churches. It's because they never really encountered another, uh, uh, an older person who, who modeled for them what it really looks like to walk with Jesus. And therefore they've assumed it doesn't really work and so I'm just going to kind of have this wallpaper faith. It's there, part of the background but not functional. Does that break your heart hearing that? Uh, there's a need for churches. You know what? Good luck. If you want to start a church in San Diego, we need way more churches in San Diego. Where are you going to do it? Who has the money to buy any property in San Diego? You can't even hire a pastor. We've been looking for a, an associate pastor. We live in one of the most expensive parts of the country now. And we're in great shape. We're funded. We have a, a place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, 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 over the years I've lived here, 26 years I've lived here, I've seen Dozens and dozens and dozens of churches start and die, and so the great uh, the great opportunity has so many neat things to say about what what can make this work. I just uh, um, the the one of the the, the young guy who was really instrumental in his family, Nick Bonner, works for CBRE. He's got a heart to help figure out how to get help churches get property, and so some got a neat model, right? So read the great opportunity, because this shows you what a missional movement. A movement of Jesus looks like in functional ways in the world making a difference. What small part could we have in it? I don't know. but I know it's a game changer if we start trying to influence every generation to think as part of the movement of God's Spirit. Lord Jesus this is my prayer for me, uh, for my family, for my brothers and sisters here that, that this church was started as, as a movement of your Spirit. and We pray that we can continue to do that as we align with others, kindred spirits in you who are part of this movement of Jesus, that we could be creative and audacious and willing to risk, willing to care, willing to suffer and sacrifice, uh, willing to enjoy the journey together with you. Lord, we pray that you'd be raising up people in in San Diego City and County, in, in Southern California, in the state, in the Western states, across the country, around the world, who would share this sense of this high and holy vision of being part of your movement. We pray, Lord, that there be a time of awakening and renewal and revival. We pray that even as you've promised to return in glory, we can be part of all that you're doing to prepare for a new heaven and a new earth. We pray that we can be those people and join those people, that we can reach other people in your name. We pray all this in the high and the holy name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread he blessed it. He broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Why? He was making the sacrifice necessary that we'd have the great opportunity. Likewise, he took the cup and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do. And so here you have um, the bread. And as you take that out, a tiny little bit of bread but it reminds us that Jesus gave his body for us. And when you're ready to receive that, put it in your mouth. In the same manner, he took the cup and having blessed it, he said, this is my blood. It was his sacrifice for us, atoning for our sin. It was his powerful engagement with evil that allowed him to emerge as the victor and rise again from the grave and ascend into heaven and rule from on high, giving us his Holy Spirit and his life within us. And so we drink this cup in his name. This is what it means to be part of the movement of God's spirit. Let's continue to worship him together. We can pray for you about anything before you leave today. Just go out around to the front of the church. There's a beautiful garden there, it's a prayer garden, and there'll be somebody there to pray with you. You don't have to say what you want prayer for. If you want, you can, but just say, Pray for me, or pray for this situation, or this person that I'm concerned for. If there's anything we can do to help you begin a relationship with Jesus, uh, let us know to receive him as Lord and Savior, uh, to begin to walk with him, to get connected to reading the Bible with other people, uh, to, to use your talents to serve others in his name. We want to do everything we can to resource you as part of this movement of Jesus. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him one day uh, at a time, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.